Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every Friday at 12pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature-N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil, and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Hello and welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. I'm Trevor Cochran. It's great to be back with you again this beautiful Friday morning. We've got a whole bunch of people joined us already and we've got a brilliant show for you today. Now you might be wondering who this young lady is who's sitting alongside me. If you've ever watched The Garden Gurus and you've seen the beautiful garden that I do a lot of my filming in, it's my home garden. And it's a couple of acres up in the Perth Hills. It takes a fair bit of work. And you might be thinking to yourself, gee, that Trevor works hard, you know, he's, he's doing all the things that he does and keeps that garden looking great. But most of the credit should go to this young lady here. So Katie is um, in charge of the Garden Guru's landscaping team, our maintenance business. And uh, you do, you look after some of the garden. I sure do, and what a pleasure it is. Welcome great. to the show. Now, uh, not only does she do that, she also keeps her eye on our indoor plants here in the offices at Guru Productions. And one of the things that we'll be doing a bit later on the show is, in fact, not too far away, we're talking to Narelle Pitt from Love the Garden. Now, she's joining the program to talk about a product that has just become a sensation when it comes to indoor plants. With so many people getting into indoor plant gardening, this makes it very easy and we'll talk about why a bit later on. We've got a special offer for you too. So uh, there'll be a chance for you to be able to um, take up a special deal to plant something that's seasonal into your garden. We'll be catching up with David Van Berkel from Garden Express a bit later on. Today's show has a whole bunch of plants that we will feature, a whole bunch of ideas and things that we will share. But the most important thing with this is it's all about interacting with you live and allowing you to actually comment. So please make sure you post your questions at the bottom of the page. Um, first up, we should start with plant of the week. Yeah, well, I see what you've got for this week. It's this beautiful custard apple. Yeah, so let's, um, let's have a look at these guys. So I picked this one fresh from the tree this morning. And uh, this is one of the most unusual fruit you'll ever kind of see. When they're ripe, so this was picked this morning, this was picked a week and a half ago, and it's now fully ripe. You tend to pick them like avocados. Um, the name custard apple refers to the texture of the flesh. It's a kind of a custardy kind of texture. It's very sweet. In India, there's another version of this that's called um, the sugar apple. These are not as sweet, but they're really good for you. So they're rich in a plant phytochemical that has unbelievable benefits in, well, I suppose working on cells that are not necessarily doing the right thing in our body. So for cellular health, 
This is something that has been known for, for thousands of years in Indian medicine as a plant that is good for you. And um, the plant that we've got in the garden at home is quite significant. You want to talk about the tree? Yeah, it's an absolutely gorgeous tree. Beautiful leaves, could be used as an ornamental and you also get these beautiful, beautiful fruit from it. I actually tried one for the first time last week and they are delicious. It's definitely going on my to-grow list. And it's one of those plants, maybe the first time you have this, if you saw this at the supermarket, which you will see right now, and interestingly enough, these fruit are somewhere between five and eight dollars per fruit. A tree is going to cost you around 50 bucks. So, you know, getting some of these fruit, once you get the taste for them, it is absolutely delicious, but not necessarily something that you fall in love with first up. But, but as I said, it's a bit of a cancer fighter. In fact, um, there's a derivative chemical being produced from this fruit, from that phytochemical I talked about, that is being used for cancer treatment, uh, for certain types of cancers, and it's incredibly effective, apparently. So I'm a big believer in adding things that are good for your body uh, into your diet on a regular basis. And when it comes to growing your own at home, why not grow something that's a little bit different? Custard apple. For sure. Okay. Get onto it. All right. So that's that's a, a real big um, a real big feature. I think uh, we've probably got a few things that we need to do. And the first probably thing is let's cross over to Narelle Pitt at Love the Garden. Is uh, we got Narelle coming up somewhere? Where is she? There she is. Good morning, Narelle. Hi. Hi. There we are. That's great. We can hear you. Technology hasn't failed us. I thought it might have. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's working really well. Narelle, thanks very much for joining us. Um, let's just talk about who is Love the Garden? What, what's this all about? Yeah, so um, Love the Garden is a house of brands. Uh, we're Evergreen Garden Care. We were formerly Scots Australia. So what you'll find on Love the Garden um, is all your favourite gardening brands, Scots Osmocote, Scots Lawn Builder, Debco, um, and our new Performance Naturals and a few other smaller brands. And it's a... It's an opportunity to share information. It's a great source, a resource, I suppose, for people who want to learn more about gardening successfully, maybe making gardening a little bit easier. Yeah, that's right. Uh, lots of DIY um, articles and videos, um, you know, all sorts of, of interesting content on um, yeah, all sorts of things gardening. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of the things that's most famous... Um, I reckon here at Guru Productions is our living wall. We do live crosses to the Today Show with it. When we've built it, we've featured it on the Garden Gurus. It gets a lot of coverage. And Katie here looks after it on a daily basis. And it was Katie that started using some products that we, you know, sort of saw. I, I looked at it and I went, now what have we got here? And this was an innovation that came out through Osmocote. And it solves so many problems. If there's anything that kills indoor plants, it's either too much love or not enough, isn't it? And feeding is one of the most dangerous things if you don't get it right. Yeah, yeah. And it's also, um, you know, you're bringing the outdoors inside. So it's also a little bit tricky if you're trying to dilute a concentrated fertiliser in a you know, big watering can and you've only got a few plants inside, you're certainly make, starting to make a big, a big mess. And um, yeah, so, you know, it's... I've so, one here, yeah, you've got one there. <laughs> it makes it so much easier. So just, just talk it through. Just talk what makes this product so good is that it's actually diluted to the correct rate, isn't it? So right. if somebody's to use it, they're just going to basically shake the bottle. And then you've got the... to shake the bottle to simply pour and feed. I haven't actually got this one open, but um, it's got the, a balanced um, blend of MPK, 
um, it's fast acting. You'll start to see results in in seven days. It's um, yeah, it's a really good product and just so easy to use. It's, yeah. Um, it's got um, very little colour, so it's not staining and and no odour. So it's perfect for indoor use. And it's getting some great results. I noticed. Yeah. Um, I was having a look at the wall last night um, over here and the we had a whole bunch of orchids in there and um, they're the moth orchid, the Phalaenopsis, that's so popular. And they'd all been in flower when they went in and then they finished their flower and they've got the flower stems up and we don't cut the flower stems because they will often produce more flowers from those stems as they mature. But these ones... Uh, one is there's lots of beautiful growth on them, but they've actually started producing new little plants from the ends of the flowers as well. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed that with my plants here, yeah, lots of new growth. Yeah. yeah. So it's pretty cool. And... And this particular product, it's not just about indoor plants. There's a lot of people into things like cacti and succulents at the moment. And if there's a plant that is sensitive to overfeeding, it's got to be succulents and cacti. It's when you, that's when they rot. That's when they go off. But you, you don't have that problem when you're dealing with this product. It's simply pour it into the, into the lid and in and around the base of the plant, right? That's right, yeah. That, that one's formulated that, um, yeah, it's not going to overfeed it. It's going to yeah, promote steady, slow, healthy growth. Narelle, um, we're actually, we're beaming into your house today, which is kind of pretty cool, because in the background, you've got a great, uh, great collection of, of indoor plants. What, what's your favourite, if you like, um, indestructibles? My indestructibles, well, um, dare I say, my favourites are probably the peace lily. Um, and interestingly, I used to think it was a little bit daggy. It's been around for a long time. I think my mum um, gave me a few when I first moved out of home, which I, you know, consequently killed I um, wasn't too interested in it until um until recently but what I love about them is um they tell you when they're thirsty so they're really easy to look after they just you know start to droop and look a bit sad so um and then what also happens I tend to water the plant water the piece of leaf and it then prompts me to look after my other plants so um, yeah they're a good indicator plant aren't they yeah they are and while I probably wouldn't um, water my other plants quite as much um it just is a bit of a reminder when my piece lily is looking a little bit sad it's time to to look after my plant that's awesome. We are, we've actually got um, people commenting as we're going along at the moment. Lynn has sent us a note to say she's been using pour and feed with her indoor plants and they're looking sensational. And one of the things about indoor plants is you need to understand where these plants came from and why they're good indoors. So most indoor plants that we have are actually plants that originate on the rainforest floor. So they're, um, they tend to have bigger, broader leaves um, with a, they tend to be darker in their colour of the leaf, so they've got lots of chlorophyll in there because they're trying to capture what light they can get filtering through the trees above them. Uh, but of course we move them indoors and it's not a dissimilar situation. Again, limited light filtering through. Um, things like spathophyllums and monsteras, they're, they're just like the toughest of tough plants, aren't they? Yeah, I find um, anything with a green leaf, a green glossy leaf is easier to care for and, and keep alive than anything variegated. I don't know why. Um, you might be able to shed some again, light on that. But Well, again, the variegation, it lacks the chlorophyll, which is, you know, the plant literally converting sunlight into energy. So the less green in the leaf, 
the more likely that the plant is going to struggle in a low light environment. Whereas with, and, and sometimes the variegation can actually disappear because the plant has this ability sometimes to actually go, well, actually I need to be getting more green. So it'll actually expand the area of chlorophyll. So somebody buys a beautiful variegated plant and some of the variegation goes six months later and they're like, oh, I'm being ripped off. But of course, it's all got to do with light. So variegated plants like a really light spot and, and uh, you know, darker green plants will do really well in those dark locations with very little natural light. It's a pretty good thing. What, what about on-trend indoor plants at the moment? Uh, so the, the Monstera is, um, is still on-trend. It's sort of, I think, um, you know, uh, rose in popularity last year, the year before, um, and, you know, people went nuts for the variegated um, varieties and you know, spending lots and lots of money on those. Um, they're still really popular at the moment. Um, we're sort of seeing anything with really big leaves, like an elephant um, ear, or um, tiny little leaves, like your, your peperomia, like the one I've got here behind me on my in my alpaca there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Katie? What What's your favourite indoor at the moment? I actually think it's it's also a plant that's behind Uniril, and that's the Monsteria andersonii, sorry, uh, which is the Swiss trees climbing plant. They are so hardy and look amazing on a totem pole, like you've got there. Yeah. Yeah, anything, and trailing plants as well seem to be um, very popular, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, this, this sort of trend for indoor plants really kicked off late 60s, early 70s, and for almost a decade in Australia, indoor plants were a really big deal. But the trend that immediately followed indoor plants, or sort of halfway through the popularity of indoor plants, which at the time included many of the ones that we've got behind us, ficus and things like that, um, the next trend was actually hanging baskets. So, again... Hopefully there's a pour and feed on the way that'll help people get the best out of their uh, hanging baskets too, right? <laughs> yeah, I think the, the indoor one's suitable for hanging baskets, but um, yeah, perhaps we could come up with something. Can I, can I ask you a question? It's a little, little off, um, off script, but um, most people wouldn't understand the amount of research and trial and error that goes into launching a new product. And there's very few companies in the world that would have put the amount of effort that Evergreen do into some of the products. I, I know you've got those performance naturals, um, that range of, of uh, fertilisers, but most importantly, the potting mix is the one that I'm seeing amazing results with. That was like five years of, of basically soil engineering to get that right, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. We've got um, a really experienced R&D team that work on uh, both sourcing um, ingredients that are, you know, the best performing ingredients. But then it's also a matter of um, putting them together with, uh, you know, stuff you already have on on hand and and getting the best blend of, of product to get the best performance out of your your plants and the best results. Um, you know, consumers aren't going to come back and buy your product if they're not going to see the, the them growing healthily, you know, straight away. Really. Yeah, and conversely, you know, if if a product works and we can trust it. Um, we don't want to change. So that's why there's so much yeah. put into this brand. It's why these brands are so trusted in Australia, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and another one, actually, that we've, um, you know, done a fair bit of, of research and development on, which we launched last year, um, which I've got a bag of it here, is our um, indoor potting mix. And what's special about that is it's made without um, pine bark. And that's a big big deal, isn't it? Because what's the, exactly what just happened then? What's the thing that happens when... I don't know where that came from. Yeah. On when you. When you've got pine bark in your, um, in your potting mixes, this is a question we get asked all the time at the moment um, through our Facebook, is, oh, I've got these, these little black flies that are flying around my indoor plants, and that's the bark breaking down, and they're called fungus gnats. 
but when, when you're using this potting mix, and this has become immensely popular because you don't use bark in it, do you? No, it's um, based on, on coir um, and peat and perlite. So there's no, yeah. no pine bark in there at all. And yeah, don't see fungus gnats. As such, you, yeah, you won't, you won't have that sort of and Sometimes they come in the plants that you bought um, from the nursery or, or whatever, and it's hard to get rid of them, but um, you won't see as many of them with your indoor potting mix. But this, this is the time to be transplanting and potting up your, your indoor plants as we move into the, the warmer weather, they're going to start growing. Feeding, potting up, really important. And that's the kind of potting mix that you want to use if you want to avoid fungus gnats. The general potting mixes, um, when they're indoors, will generally, because they've got bark in them, have some element of fungus gnats arrive in them. I know we've got some big indoor plants here that uh, came from a fantastic nursery in the north of Australia called Darwin Plant Wholesalers. And um, when they came down, we had fungus gnats pretty much arrive with them. And um, bit by bit, they're slowly disappearing as the plants are settling into the environment. But it's, that's a natural thing. But you can avoid that completely if you're using a coir-based potting mix, right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, Narelle, thank you so much for your time. That's okay. Thanks for having me. Really good. Really appreciate your time. That's great. Thank you. Bye. You take care. Bye. Bye. Well, the thing with, with that kind of conversation is you learn so much about what goes into creating products. And there's so many new products come on the market. I love talking about them because my whole career has been sort of built around seeing innovation and plant breeding. It's just wonderful. So we've got a few questions coming in. Um, I know I've got to answer this one for Diane because she's asked us, she said she's never had problems with her roses until four years ago and she's got a small black bug and several are always in the roses and not been able to get rid of them. Tried everything on the market, but what else can we do? Now, it's a bit hard to guess what that small black bug could be because it could be aphids. Um, that's a possibility. And one of the tricks that I love with controlling bugs of all sorts in the garden is to use lots of garlic. So these garlic chilli sprays, really nice way to work because they don't really kill the bug, but they tend to ward them off. Mm -hmm. So if you were to spray all of your roses as they're producing this new foliage at the moment, that'll stop the infestation of the bugs. It's yeah. We've obviously been through pruning at yeah. home, haven't we? Yes, we have. We pruned a lot of roses in the last few weeks. It's about 150 roses in my garden, and uh, I reckon Katie did 151 of them. So there was a few scratches and, um, and as, you, as you get with roses, but now it's all fun and joy because we're about to get a huge display of flowers, a lot of growth. Yeah. And um, one of the things I was gonna say about roses to get the best out of them is if you wanna reduce the pest infestation, feeding's really important. For sure. As soon as we prune our roses, we go in with a feed, make sure that they're nice and healthy so they can really push out that growth and Plants tend to get less issues if they're healthy. Now, we've got another question coming through, Katie, yeah, from Gail. Yeah, from Gail. And she's wondering what's wrong with the lightning foliage on her gardenias. This, to me, sounds like a nutrient deficiency. Again, plants tend to be a lot healthier, uh, so tend to get less issues if they're healthier. So it's really, really, really important to feed your plants. And particularly things like gardenias, because they're, they're, they're gross feeders. They're, they're plants that require lots and lots of food to keep them looking For sure. good and dark green. And those lighter colours tend to come through in wintertime. And the reason is the plant slows down its growth because they're, they're really sort of subtropical plants. And as they slow down, 
the, the plants are very clever. They move mineral nutrients and the greening minerals are iron, manganese and magnesium. And um, particularly iron and magnesium are very, very common deficiencies right across Australia. And the way to fix it is to be adding trace elements or a, a fertiliser right now that is complete. So it's not just your MPK, but it's got all of those little micronutrients. Turn over the packet, have a look at what's on the back. It will tell you. You want a big long list, not just an MPK list. Yeah, and if you're getting that, you're gonna get results. So that's great advice. All right, what have we got? It's, there's a lot of questions coming through, folks, and they're coming from all over Australia. So um, we just got a, uh, just got uh, one come through from Queensland. Okay, this is from Irene. Um, Irene's got a lot of kangaroo paws and some have a small amount of black leaves. Now, um, interestingly enough, uh, this is quite a common problem and it's related to the amount of water that they're getting, right? So um, kangaroo paws, there's a huge amount of breeding being done in um, central New South Wales. And uh, a lot of the, the common varieties uh, that you'll find in garden centres have been bred in that environment. But when you look at them grown in a pot, the pot's got a really good free draining potting mix. And um, the, the challenge is if you move them into a soil where it can get a bit waterlogged, um, you end up with this sort of black thing coming through and it's called ink spot. It's quite a common disease, right? Yeah, especially for kangaroo paws. Another issue could be that in Queensland, it's quite humid. That could also be a contributing factor to the ink spot. Now, there's probably not an awful lot you can do. Um, you can try and put a, you know, like a, a fungicide over the, over the foliage. Mancozeb is a solution, but um, the real solution is probably to keep them sort of nice and aerated, nice and airy. And if it is a bit of waterlogging in the soil, um, wait until they've finished flowering. So wait until probably end of November, early December, and dig the whole clump up and then plant them, instead of planting them into a furrow in the ground or planting them into a hole at ground level, mound the soil up. So create a, a mounded base and plant them into the top of that. That'll do them the world of good. That's what you should be doing in Queensland when it comes to kangaroo paws. These plants all originate from Western Australia, from southwest. Um, corner of Western Australia. We get a huge amount of rainfall in this part of the world during the winter for about three months and then pretty much the rest of the year it's dry. So they're really adapted to drier conditions. That's where they have a few problems. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Naturen, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Uh, we're going to go all the way across to Melbourne and we're going to catch up with David Van Berkel. David is, well, there he is in his office, actually. We've caught up with him well and truly. David's a, David's a great guy. Hi, mate. How are you? Oh, we, we can see you, but we can't hear you at the moment. But I think we've got a connection going on with audio right now. How's that? That's good for me. Awesome. Nice to see you, David. I've got Katie with me. Hi, David. Hi, Katie. How are you going? Yeah, good. How's the weather in Melbourne? 
Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful day, but last night was horrible. Winds of over 100 kilometres. Uh, ripped out one of our poly tunnels and damaged yeah. a bit of equipment. But, um, yeah, it's it was, a, it's, it's, the, it's the challenge of being a grower, isn't it? This, the reality that you're dealing with all the weather conditions and you're out there every day, rain, hail or shine, right? That's it. We've had some floods this year, uh, but of course, everybody out there with their home gardens dealing with all the other pressures, it's sort of, it's no different in a way, but it, it is presenting challenges for sure. The storms have certainly made the news right across Australia, but you know what? We're coming out of the winter now, heading, we're only a few days away from spring. There are so many things you should be putting into the garden at the moment. Tell me, you guys have got, look, I've got a garden full of your bulbs, but you've got something pretty special. Yeah, we've got a lily offer for you this week. Uh, we've got 24 of our best lilies, eight different varieties, regularly valued at $95 for only $60. Now, these are the, these are the big, bold, oriental and Asiatic liliums, aren't they? Yeah, all, all different types. Got some trumpet lilies in there as well. So you've got, uh, you know, you've got the smells and the flavours of beautiful lilies, plus, uh, you know, the, the beautiful flowers, the, um, the Asiatics and the... Uh, the LA hybrids, they have like a, a crown of, of, of florets. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, a beautiful amount of flowers to put in vases, enjoying your garden, uh, plus those tall and very perfumed orientals. So it's a bit of a mix of everything that's going to deliver everything you could want from colour right through to fragrance. David, tell us, how much are they? Are they expensive? I know that those oriental liliums, just to buy the, a single flower stems, about six to eight bucks minimum over here. Um, Bulbs must, mustn't be cheap. Uh, yeah, look, it's interesting, you know, we grow them, uh, we grow them on mass. Um, as I said, the, the value of the offer is about $95. Wow. Uh, we put the package together for $60 for you. $60? $60, yeah. 20, How many lilies are in there? 24. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's a good deal. It's a good deal. But as I said, we, we grow so many of these things, the cut flower guys, you know, they do an extraordinary job to get these beautiful clean stems. Uh, yeah. And of course, there's a lot of transport for these nice tall flowers. Um, so buying them dormant to put in your garden, that's definitely the best way to go. I was gonna say, it cuts, cuts road miles out. And at that price, um, to be quite honest, that's, that's a steal. Now, one of the problems, I, I, David's the big boss, by the way, over there at Garden Express. He, he's, he's not the bloke. It's very rare to see you sitting in the office. More often than not, you'll see him out in the field with a tractor or walking around checking things. But, but we've, had a, we've had a few complaints, David, and this is um, something you're going to have to fix because there's a whole bunch of people been taking up these offers we've had on the Garden Guru Show, literally jumping online in the middle of the program and some of these offers have sold out. Now, Rowan's done a good job in going and finding some more stock to try and keep people happy. But you've got to have a lot of these this time round, mate. Is people going to be able to get their hands on them? Definitely, with the lilies, we've got uh, we've got a large number of collections for you this week. Uh, yeah. Lilies is one of, one of those good ones. You know, things supported by um, by cut flower growers means there's usually a lot of products in the country. But uh, things like the water lilies and and um, some other offers that we've had, they sell out very very quickly. So um, yeah, it's a difficult time. It's been one of those years where everybody's been enjoying the garden. And, uh, and so product is selling you know, so quickly for all of the nurseries, uh, as well as, of course, our online store. Well, particularly, obviously, in lockdown in Victoria at the moment and certain places in New South Wales and now even Queensland, we're dealing with a whole new reality. And, and the truth of the matter is being able to have to, to shop online. So it's, once they jump on Garden Express, 
there's a huge range of all sorts of different plants. It's like walking into the garden centre, but from the comfort of your lounge chair, um, you can order it, but it's all delivered direct to your door, right? Absolutely. We are having some dramas at Australia Post, of course. They're operating on a, on a much slimmer uh, work, workload or a number of workers in the, in the warehouses. So yep. we're finding that our deliveries are impacted. But most of the product we're shipping is dormant. And of course, our packaging methods mean that we can handle these transport delays. Um, but for Father's Day, we've got a wool of my offer. And what we're going to do is we're going to send out a, uh, a voucher so that you can give that to your dad to say, hey, your wool of my is on its way. Awesome. Um, so there's always ways around the transport issue, but absolutely, really easy to shop online, have it delivered. Uh, and of course, you can come back a couple of weeks later and top up on the things that you liked or, or things that you might have missed out of that we get more stock. I love that. Look, you know what, I've, if you could pass thanks on to your team for me, mate. I ordered some, uh, some fruit trees, some bare-rooted fruit trees. It must have been the last of the stock that was left out there. It was only about a week ago that I placed the order and it arrived beautifully yesterday, wonderfully protected. Absolutely fantastic. And Katie and I are going to be out digging holes next week, popping them into the garden. And it's a really exciting thing when you get, you know, a fantastic bundle turn up and you open it up and there they are waiting to go in. It's pretty fun, isn't it? You know, like uh, a lot of our customers say that they really enjoy the anticipation of the package arriving. And then, of course, when it comes, you've had the time to prepare for what's coming. So yeah, I will pass on uh, those things to the team. They do a really good job. We've been working so hard to keep up with the demand. It's been a really good, you know, autumn, winter and spring. So um, we're very happy for, uh, you know, supplying this to all of our customers. And David, I'm a little off script here, so, so forgive me, but I'm, I'm pretty good at going off script. So that's, um, that's the unknown factor with me, I suppose. Um, but, I, you know, you and I have known each other for a long period of time now, and I know the background behind your family business. This some people will look at an online shop and think, oh, you know, you're in some corporate tower in the middle of Melbourne or Sydney or Perth or somewhere like that. Um, you are a multi-generational horticultural family, aren't you? Absolutely. Yeah, Trevor, in a couple of years, we'll be celebrating 70 years of, of uh, the family tradition of growing wow. flower bulbs. Started in tulips way back in the, in the day in the early 50s. Uh, on the third generation, I've got my kids working for me. Um, we're about an hour out of Melbourne on, uh, on 10 acres, and we also have a 60-acre property where we do a lot of the growing as well. So, yeah, we're definitely steeped in the tradition of, uh, of growing and being out there amongst it and uh, getting our hands dirty, so to speak. Well done, David. Look, thanks so much for your time, and thanks for that amazing offer. Can we just confirm it one more time? Because I, I still can't get my head around how good a value that is. OK, we've got 24 lilies, eight of our most popular varieties, valued at $95.00. $60. $60. Absolutely amazing. All right, and all they've got to do is jump online. And just one quick question for you. What is your top tip on planting and when? How and when? Okay, so lilies, are, lilies you can plant literally as soon as you get them. So they're about 90 days from when you plant them to when they flower. So you can kind of put a little bit of timing as to when you want that colour in your garden. So if you want to hold off for, for up to probably a month from here, you can put them in the fridge, just in the, uh, in the crisper, away from veggies though, um, and then hold them until you want to plant them. So that's, that's the tip there, 90 days till flower. Awesome. Now, we're going to leave you, but before we do, we'll leave you. One of our, um, one of our friends has posted a comment, and I, I saw her. She actually uh, posted photographs of them when they arrived. She's just received its teller and she's just received her wax plants and she's delighted with them. She said she loves them. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. They were amazing.
Well done, mate. Well done. Thanks very much for your time, David. Thank you. Take, take care. All right. Wow. There you go. Amazing. What a great offer. Third generation family too. I love that. I love the fact that whilst you've got the convenience of shopping online, you're still dealing with a multi-generational horticultural family who yeah. know this stuff. That guy spends so much time out in the field, he's almost impossible to track down, so we were lucky this morning. All right, Katie. Moving back into the questions. So we have Sheena here and she has a frost damaged citrus tree and she wants to know how she can bring that back to life. Mm. Well, the question, probably the first thing you should ask is, um, are you expecting any more frosts? So August is typically the, the month of frost, but we can get them into September. For sure. So if you are expecting some more frosts, don't go pruning at this point in time. So what I would do is I would wait until your absolute last frost has happened. You're well out of that. Go in, do a medium to heavy prune and then feed it up so you get lots of beautiful new growth. Brilliant. That's fantastic. Um, I've got a question come through from Kathy. Now, what does the yellowing of leaf tips mean? This was what we we're talking about before. It occurs quite commonly with um, tropical or subtropical plants that are growing in colder conditions. And it's a really good indicator that you're just lacking some of those micronutrients, those, those trace elements that we talk about. So um, at the moment, to be quite honest, all the plants in your garden, you really should be giving them a feed. Everything's waking up, it's taking off, and it's going to have a big draw of nutrients out the soil. And soil, when it comes to mineral elements, um, soil can't make it. You only have so many in the soil. So in a home garden environment, it's kind of like intensive farming. And if you don't put those nutrients into the soil on a regular basis, your plants won't continue growing strong and healthy. It's a bit like us. You know, if we don't have a really good diet on a regular basis um, and we start missing out on things, let's say calcium, as we get older, we have problems with, with you know, diseases or, you know, with, you know, fragile bones or, um, you know, things like um, magnesium is a really common deficiency, as is iron. And these are things that we end up having to supplement because we're not getting enough out of our food. Plants are exactly the same. So a well-balanced fertiliser, we go back to it again, it For is sure. absolutely critical. What next? So we have a question from Lynette and she's wanting advice on germinating her Syngina bilata seeds. Okay. Well, I really can't tell you an awful lot about Neither that particular plant, but one of the things that, that you can do, of course, and you should do, is if you've got any hard shell seeds of any sort, um, before you plant them, get a glass of really hot water, put all the seeds in the bottom, or sorry, put the seeds in the bottom of the glass and then put some hot water over and let it sit until it cools down. Then take the seeds out and then plant them. It's a terrific way, particularly with Australian natives that can get really hard, yeah. you know, coatings yeah. around the outside. Sure. Things like acacias, um, they love that. So we'll look into that a little bit more and come back to you. Beck has also asked recommended herbs that can survive with minimal watering. Well, look, you want to look at any of those Mediterranean herbs, so thyme, rosemary, even sage. Things that do pretty well in the wet season are things like mints. So you can mm -hmm. kind of grow those and, and do pretty well. Have you got a few? Uh, you are. Did I steal them all? I, th I think you, you've covered most of them. <laughs> but also in the, the cooler months, you could parsley it will just grow really, really well. Mm. Um, yeah, I think you covered everything there. And I, I know this person and I know that she has mint growing in her brick paving. Wow. 
there you go. That's exactly what you want. So you want herbs, once they've kind of established naturally, they should start popping up everywhere. As you see in my garden, we've got so many things <laughs> yeah. like lemon balm and things that have naturalised, found the right little spot and they live there and you don't have to do anything then, you just got to harvest, right? For sure. As good as it gets. Now, Katie, what are you looking forward to growing this spring? Oh, all my edibles for sure. I've got a really, really exciting new corn variety that I'm growing. It's called the glass gem corn, sorry. And it has... Glass gem? Yes. Yeah. It has colourful kernels, not just your plain old white or yellow. Mm -hmm. It's all these colours and it's a popping corn or a flint corn. So you don't eat it fresh. You dry it on the plant and you use it to pop. Yeah. Cool. Healthy little good. snack. I have a 15-year-old uh, who would love to grow that, I think, because yeah. he loves popcorn. It's his favourite thing every single night. So that might be something we'll do back up at my place as well. Um, what else are you looking forward to, Trev? Um, I'm actually looking forward to putting in some maybe slightly different herbs. So I'm going to head down to Swan Valley Nursery. They have seeded and they're not quite ready yet, but they will be pretty soon. Um, a whole bunch of stevia plants. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know what stevia is, you should know. It is a South American herb. It grows really well during the warm conditions. Uh, so that's why growing it in the beginning of spring is probably ideal, but during summer it really produces lots of foliage. And you harvest the foliage and you can use it fresh or you can dry it and crush it like you would with sugar. Now the thing with stevia is it's 30 times sweeter than sugar. It's amazing. But it has no calories. So if you want to lose weight, that is a great plant to add into your diet. So if you love a sweet cup of tea, um, it tastes sweet just like it normally would do. And I just literally with coffee, which can be quite bitter, I'll just break off a leaf and just crush the leaf and throw it into my coffee. And that's all it needs. It's a really good plant, really tough. Okay, what else? We got I did mention before that we're also planting... Um, tomatoes. Tomatoes. We're doing a lot of tomatoes at the moment, aren't we? And you've got a, a heap of varieties. I sure do. I think I've got 21 varieties last time I checked. So it keeps growing every time I walk through a nursery. Um, and all sorts of, from the really, really little um, sweet 100s, which are tiny little sweet ones, right up to your big beefsteak type tomatoes in all different colours as well. And that's, that is so cool. It's something we're slowly getting to over here, but one of the things I love about going to Europe and North America is the number of heirloom varieties that are growing commercially. So when you go to the supermarket, you've got this array of colours from black fruit to yellow to pink right through to green, or mm. then you get this striped fruit. Yep. There's so much. Yeah. And that, that I think it makes it look so much more appealing. Um, now, we've got a few questions coming through. So how about we fly at these? All right, so we've got a question from Brad, and he wants recommendations for plants that he can have in pots on a rooftop with lots of wind and sun exposure. Can't keep anything alive at the moment. Okay, with lots of wind and sun exposure. Yeah. Mm. You got some ideas? Well, I think that the wax flowers could be a good... As far as a yeah. native goes, they'd yeah, be sensational. Yeah, excellent one to have in a, a pot on a terrace. Just, just so you know, we're calling them wax flowers, but in Western Australia, we call them Geraldton wax. We sure do. And Geraldton is um, a medium-sized town, I would say, um, in the you know, city in the Midwest. So midway up the coast, and its claim to fame, apart from being the place where West Australian crayfish are mainly caught and being a bit of a port, it actually has some of the most spectacular wildflowers around the outside in this region. 
and it's also incredibly windy. It's meant to be, I think, the third or fourth windiest um, city in the world. So it's very popular with windsurfers, but the plants that have evolved there include one that we call the Geraldton Wax. So this is one that would make it ideal for the balcony. Yeah, Yeah. I think so. All right, shall we keep flying through questions? So. Uh, Joanne's asked about um, suggestions for getting rid of those bugs that each native orchid's new growth in summer. Now, there's a few different bugs and it depends on what part of the country you come from as regards to controlling them. There's, I've actually got a pretty bad problem at the moment with um, some dendrobium native orchids um, with slaters, believe it or not. Yeah. And um, slaters are something that are a bit different actually because they're not really an insect. They're actually a crustacean. So they're related to crayfish and prawns and lobsters. And one of the worst things I've ever done in media was I was on radio once with my friend Chrissy Morrissey and somebody rang up and said, um, I've got a big problem with slaters. And joking around, I said, well, look, yeah, they're from the crayfish family. Throw them in a wok, get all of them together, throw them into a wok with a little bit of garlic and butter, and they're delicious. And then we got distracted from the caller. And a week later, she rang up to say, Actually, I tried them and they were fantastic. Oh gosh! So, don't do that. That's what I'm. That's what I'm meaning to tell you. There, there are slater controls, and you can get a little shaker pack from Rich Grow, which will do the job. And that's actually what I'm going to do with mine. There are snails and slugs also that do a fair bit of damage on native orchids on the soft foliage as it comes out, and um, you can just use normal, um, the normal controls. And when I say that, I'd, I'd avoid snail pellets. Um, I would much prefer to see you use beer traps or there's, there's actually a couple of things. You can also use the copper tape, um, mm. and copper is a natural uh, control for most of those mollusks. So, yeah. here we go, all right. Um, they're still flowing through, and folks, keep throwing your questions at us. Um, we love having them. We've got some unanswered questions from last week that we missed, and um, this is one that, let me answer this one, because I love this plant. I've you raved do. about it and shown it. And one of your favourites. Absolutely, and we've got uh, some new ones gone into my garden, so I can help Terry from Mackay in Queensland. She's been given many dragon fruit plant cuttings. Can you tell me the best way to plant them? Well, there is one important thing you need to know, which is um, which way the cutting goes into the ground. You always remember wherever the roots were, the bottom of that cutting um, needs to go back into the ground like that. You can't reverse it around the other way, otherwise it won't take. So. Um, as long as you're putting your cuttings into free-draining soil, they will take off and grow. And one of the things that's probably most important um, is to have some kind of... So just to let you know, dragon fruit, to clarify, is a member of the cactus family. It's an epiphytic cactus. So it grows on big, long stems. It's not really thorny, um, but it tends to grow up. And what will happen is it starts to climb over things. So you need to provide it a trellis. And if you were to go to a dragon fruit farm in... I don't know, Vietnam or a place like that, they have these single poles and then they have like the rose hoop on the top mm. and they grow it up the, the pole and then let it cascade and weep over the rose hoop. That's what I would do. Yeah, and it also looks great. It looks yeah. fantastic, particularly when you've got all those beautiful big pink fruit on them. Delicious, I can't wait. What have we got next? So we've got a question here from Ursula and she has 160 camellias. Wow. Um, that were burned in the Black Saturday bushfires in 2009. She says that they've regrown and flower beautifully, however, very bushy with multiple stems. She wants to thin them out, but she's frightened that she'll do damage to the plants. How can we help her? Mm. Well, my advice would be wait until they've finished flowering yep. and then 
you can you can selectively thin them out. So have a look. The the real tricks with pruning is if you've got any branches that are crossing over each other and rubbing against each other, that tends to damage tissue, leaves them open to potential disease. Um, that's that's certainly one thing you should take one of those branches out so you avoid it. And reducing the overall height and shape, bringing them back into shape is a good thing too. And a little bit of light, maybe taking a couple of the central leaders out to let light into the bush will keep the bottom nice and bushy as well. For sure. You really want to prune it so those beautiful flowers are at your eye level so you can really, really admire them. Mm. Every once in a while we'll travel to an old garden. There's a magnificent camellia and it's right <laughs> up in the top there and it's full of flowers so it's still sort of see it and, and appreciate it, but there's nothing quite like them being at eye level. That's really the ideal scenario. Great advice. Now, um, we've got, we've come back to Perth. Um, we've got Shannon from Western Australia. She's trying to grow strawberries. We're talking about slaters before. There's, there's a couple of things you can do with slaters, right? So there's some natural controls that you can now get in your local garden centre. And you should always talk to your garden centre. Uh, you know, if you're going into a chemical aisle or a poison aisle, it's a bit like going into the pharmacy. You want to talk to the pharmacist to make sure what you're getting is actually going to solve the problem that you have. So seeking advice out is always a smart move. And, you know, local independent garden centres are always a terrific way to do that because you can generally talk to the owner. You're definitely talking to horticulturalists so they know what they're talking about. But with some of the controls for slaters and some of the best ones are doing things like literally just on dusk go and get yourself some citrus cut squeeze squeeze your oranges have the halves that are squeezed and go and take them out in and around the plants that you've actually um, got problems with because slaters are a natural um, they're a natural animal they don't normally go for fruit or for foliage what they would prefer to do is eat um, or organic material that is basically fallen off the plant they convert organics into nutrients for the soil. So having slaters isn't a bad thing, but having too many is when they start attacking the fresh foliage um, on your plant. So what I would suggest you do is you get those orange halves, go around, put them out at about four o'clock in the afternoon, and then at about seven o'clock in the evening, come back out with a plastic bag, take those orange halves and lift them up, and you'll find they'll be full on the inside of slaters, because the slaters have all come to eat that that material that's on the inside, that organic material, and the sugar in, in oranges seems to really attract them. So you can literally pick them up, put them all into the plastic bag. Hopefully you've got chooks. If you've got chooks, take okay. them, pop them into the chook pen, they will love you for it. They sure do. Mm. Um, so we've got a question here from Louis, and he's asking what the best time to, plant, uh, to, to prune fruit trees in southeast Queensland, and Actually, how to do it. I think it could be Lois. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, Sorry. you're right. We, we could be one or the other anyway. <laughs> the best time My to bad. prune fruit trees, it depends on what sort of fruit trees. So yeah. are you talking evergreen trees or are you talking deciduous trees? Wow. Yeah. So if it's deciduous, you want to be pruning when they've lost all of their, their, their foliage. Mm -hmm. And we want to be pruning to this vase shape. You want to have a nice clear centre to, to help with um, airflow. And it opens it up too yeah. um, from the point of view of... Um, light. light coming into the middle of the tree, which gives you more sweet fruit. So the mm. fruit will actually be sweeter, but it also keeps it at a height where you can easily harvest, right? For sure. No climbing ladders, folks. All right, shall I um, roll on with the next one? Yeah, I think so. Lindy, I'm not sure where you're from, Lindy, but uh, how long does it take for your vine tomatoes to ripen red? Ours are taking ages. If you've been growing tomatoes through the winter, um, 
yeah, that's going to be a problem. And I've got a little trick for you. If you want to, to ripen them all red, go and pick them. You know when they get to a full size, you can pretty much tell that. And you're sitting there and they're green and they're green and they're green. It's because there's not been enough sunlight at the moment. So the daylight hours are too short. But every day now, they're getting longer and longer and longer. And by November, um, tomatoes are really going to start turning beautiful, bright red. And it's a really good time of the year. But if you want to cheat it, here's a little one for you. Pick the tomatoes, get a plastic bag, pop some banana skins in the, over the top of the fruit, so you can all around the outside, put the plastic bag over the top and seal it. And within about a week, the ethylene gas that is emitted from the banana skins breaking down will give those tomatoes a lovely bright red blush. So that's probably, a, it's a bit of a cheat. And it's actually a good way to get things like spathophyllums and even, even anthuriums flowering. So it's the same technique, um, bromeliads, another one. Yeah. Um, you get your plant, you put your banana skin in, wrap a plastic bag around the outside, and what happens is the atmosphere in around the top um, becomes lighter, it's the ethylene gas is in there, and that tricks the plant into thinking that it's time to produce a flower and suddenly you'll get this big mass of flowers a few weeks later. It's, it's a bit of a bit of an industry trick. Okay, and uh, Lindy was from Queensland, so hello to everybody in Queensland. Wow, Katie, we have flown through a lot. We sure have. And we've still got to eat these um, custard apples. So folks, you should be growing these at home. We're going to have these for morning tea over here in Western Australia. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we are back, obviously, on Channel 9 this weekend. Please check your local TV guides. We've got a few different times at the moment. Uh, one, one thing you can guarantee is nationally, uh, five o'clock on Nine Life, you will see last week's show. So make sure you check that out if you've missed it. And you can listen back to today's live stream and catch up on previous episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Podbean. Wow. Wow, there we go. There's a lot. Thanks for joining us. We've had a lot of people putting through a lot of questions. So thank you so much. Really do appreciate that. Um, we'll look forward to seeing you next week when we do this all again next Friday. Until See then. You then. Bye. Bye. I dig, 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 digging around. Dig, 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 digging the ground. I got my spade. I got my hoe. I got my rake and I'm ready to go. The Garden Gurus is back on your TV this weekend. Now, we know that this can be a little bit confusing, so listen carefully, folks. We're on 9 and 9HD for New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland and the Northern Territory on Saturday at 12.30pm. For South Australia and Tasmania, we'll be on your screens on Saturdays at 4.30pm. And for those in WA, tune in Sundays at 5.30pm. And on Nine Life across all states, you can watch the Garden Gurus team every Saturday from tomorrow at 5 p.m. Dig, 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 dig in the ground. Feeling good in the ground. I got my speed, I got my hole, I got my rig, and I'm ready to go. Dig in the